0: Now on, so okay. this this will be a. They're not going to cover my voice, but I want to just ask some questions, and then we're going to try to use just the person being interviewed. Uh, I, let's go ahead and go. we're recording. Okay. <coughs> Don Williams. <coughs> I just want to ask you if you would first, just, and, and when, if you would just tell again, I'm Don Williams, and this is, uh, but. Tell us a little bit about where where and when you began your full-time youth ministry and a little bit about what that was about.
1: All right. Uh, youth ministry and Churches of Christ, I, to be honest, Gary, I'm not sure when it began. That'll sound funny to you. Uh, there are several men in the late 1940s, uh, Wyatt Sawyer and Holland, Holland Boring Jr. and some of those people who said they were in youth ministry. And by the way, we don't really care who's first. But actually, when the uh, when the present-day order of youth ministers began uh, was in 1965, uh, I had uh, gone. I had been born here in Surreal, Oklahoma, grew up here uh, in this little congregation, I went to Abilene Christian, uh, and I would go out and preach, you know, in different places. Well, I came to Fletcher, Oklahoma, every weekend to to preach, and. Uh, It bothered me that teenagers sat on the back row and didn't, uh, uh, you know, pass notes and uh, looked at pictures and everything like that. So I just decided, uh, I'm going to preach one sermon per month just for teenagers. And I still remember the first one. I preached on Young People Were Proud of You. But I told the kids, if I do that, you can't sit on the back row. You have to sit up close to the front and participate with the congregation. So they did, and uh, we doubled our number of teenagers. And You know, they had a greater interest. And from that point, a lot of little congregations around in this area, uh, they didn't have any youth rallies or anything like that, and so we were able to start some of those uh, just on a Saturday, you know, for an hour or two, have a program for them, that kind of thing. Uh, So so then, uh, of course, I went to Abilene Christian and... uh, and uh, there wasn't any such thing as a youth ministry program there. You just majored in Bible or the practical field of Bible. Uh, but uh, I, uh, after uh, I worked in Oklahoma City with the Northwest Church there as an associate minister from 1960 to 63, and then at the Westbury Church in Fort Worth from 63 to 65. And uh, I, at that point, I got a call from the Broadway Church in Lubbock, Texas wanting a youth minister. And no one had ever heard of that disease before. That was a, that was a different ballgame, you know. So I said, I can't do that. I've never done it before. Now one reason they called me is because I had I, I was speaking at quite a few youth rallies in different congregations. And uh, we decided in uh, about 63 or 64 to do two long play records for teenagers. And uh, so Christian publishing company put out those and all of a sudden people got pretty excited about something anything for teenagers, you know Uh, So uh, at that point they called me from Lubbock And I said I I can't do that in the meantime uh, Joe Barnett was preaching at the Central Church in Amarillo, Texas and he saw the need for youth ministry and uh, He invited Dan Warden to be the youth minister at the Central Church. And so therefore, in this modern progression of youth ministers, Dan was the first one. Now, if I would have accepted Broadway's uh, invitation first, well, I would have been ahead of Dan, but that doesn't matter, you know, really. So then Broadway looked at several other men and they couldn't work it out, and so they came back at me in September of 1965. And, and I moved to, to the Broadway Church in Lubbock as their full-time youth minister. Of course, they already had 300 teenagers in that program from the seventh through the 12th grade. Uh, and uh, so that was a pretty good start for a youth program in the congregation, 300. Uh, but, uh, but really, that's kind of how I got started in this program. Yeah.
0: Great, great. I want to ask you, Don, uh, we're, gonna, we're doing a little experiment here with the, I don't know with this hum, Barely yeah, hear it, yeah. probably isn't going to be an issue, but I may pull this up a little closer and okay. have you speak a little okay so it so won't we'll be a try. stress on your voice. Okay, I'm okay. fine. And uh, but I think okay. I think we're good, okay. okay. Uh, all right, <clears throat> you tell me if I'm doing anything you're, you're doing, doing great, me. doing great. Uh, okay, yeah, that's fine. It doesn't bother me okay. if sure. it's close. It doesn't bother me. If it see. doesn't, that may be hold, a good thing. Let's do this. You, I would rather have it a little close. You put you put it wherever, it wherever it suits you. I don't care. <laughs> uh, I Uh, can I out a little bit? That'll help us. with that. Now they get to the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. The refrigerator stuff on top. To I decision. actually, if if. You yeah, there, there, there. there you go. If you just do it this way, is that okay? Yeah. They actually prefer that they don't have uh, a whole picture mm-hmm. behind them. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's do that. Okay. Do you made a move? No, right? well, do I don't think so. I think it's okay. You know, is that okay about just the, you know, the only thing I'm looking at is the, the stuff on top of the refrigerator? I think that's okay. We're going to. Okay. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll edit some of this. Don, you, you talked some about your start in, in right. youth ministry and and uh, some of the players there. Uh, could you track for us the churches? You, you mentioned you started with, I guess, the with the Northwest Church first. Right. Could you tell us just kind of place by place where you were, and maybe some people you encountered? Uh, Significant. Uh,
1: that might help a little bit, Gary, because uh, I began, actually, it was the 25th and Geraldine Church in Oklahoma City, but now the Northwest Church, and I was the associate minister. But when I got there, I was I was interested in young people. <laughs> uh, there wasn't any such thing as a youth minister. I led singing and did all of those kind of things. But I, I uh, uh, taught a class of young people, and, uh, and then, interestingly enough, and I'll come back to the church in a minute. Joe, what really helped as much as anything to start youth ministry, Joseph Jones, who was then one of the Bible teachers at Oklahoma Christian, called me one day and wanted me to teach a class at the lectureship out there on how to teach young people. And I said, Joe, I can do that. He said, Of course you can. You know, you can do it. When we got the lectureship program, I was amazed how great I was because. It talked about the dynamics, this and that, and I thought, "What in the world?" Do you know. But uh, uh, when we walked in uh, to that class out there, there were people galore. And uh, let me give a little background to that; it might help. Uh, what happened in the 50s? The main staff of a congregation would be the pulpit minister, and if they had a second man, it would be an educational director. In the 50s, educational directors were everywhere. And then all of a sudden, congregations woke up to the fact that they could find someone in the congregation who was a, a school, someone from the school or whatever to work with the education program, but they didn't have anyone to work with young people. So all of a sudden in, in, in 61, when I taught that uh, session in, at the lectureship, I'm in the room couldn't hold the people because right then people were wondering, what are we going to do with young people? the word everywhere were, was that we were losing at least a half of our young people. And where they thought we were losing 50%, I thought we were losing 70 to 80% of our young people within five years out of high school at least. So so that that promoted people everywhere to call me and want me to come to their congregation and teach classes on how to teach teenagers. Now, I didn't feel like I knew any of those answers, but that's what kind of... Got the ball rolling more than anything else in churches of Christ at that point. Uh, after I was at uh, uh, at 25th and Geraldine or Northwest for three years, I wanted to finish my master's degree, and I moved to Fort Worth where Abilene Christian had an extension program, uh, so I could finish that. Uh, and uh, so I was at the Westbury Church for two years as an associate minister. Uh, but then, uh, then I moved to the Broadway Church in Lubbock, which then was the second biggest church of Christ in the world. Uh, and so, uh, but but that congregation, interestingly enough, with no youth minister, had already built a youth activity center. No other congregation had ever done that, and they were far-reaching enough to have built a kind of a mini gymnasium in their main building even before they had the youth activity center. So, uh, no one had hardly done that in the Brotherhood. I mean, some people didn't like it, some people thought it was bad, but still, uh, that, was the, that was the situation. So, the Broadway Church at that point, uh, being second only to Madison, Tennessee in size, was so far reaching. They had started to help start the Lubbock Christian College, they had helped start the Bible Chair there for Texas Tech students and Lubbock Christian students they'd help start the children's home and help start this youth uh, push at the same time. And they had had some men there at Broadway who did kind of half-time, part-time work in youth ministry. But I was actually their first full-time youth minister.
0: And it was there
1: eventually, after Joe Barnett came there to be the pulpit minister, that Joe said one day, I mean, here was Joe who had been in the first two congregations to have youth ministers. And he said, Don, uh, why don't we have a uh, youth minister seminar? <laughs> well, I, I was a youth minister, but I'd never thought of that before. And so I came, tell you what year, probably around uh, 68, somewhere along there, 67, 68. Uh, we had the first youth minister seminar ever in the history that I know of in churches of Christ. And I think there were probably 35 there, some full-time, some part-time men by that time. But it was a, it was a first for Churches of Christ. And, and then it grew and grew and grew. And since that time, as you know, uh, there have been ones branch off of that and have different programs, you know, to help youth, youth ministers. But uh, we realized at that point that there was a need to help help. Uh, you know evangelize youth ministry uh, around the situation so so we just decided there had to be some new things done so one of the things we did also uh, is uh, we decided that uh, we needed to, to bring young men in to work say during the summer or during part of the school year uh, to work with me and so I had as far as I know the first uh, Helper, whatever you want to call him at that point. And, uh, you know, just to train these young men. uh, We were doing everything we could to try to establish youth ministry. And I thought, we have to get the Christian colleges involved in this thing. So I went to uh, the Bible department head at Abilene Christian and at Harding and at Lipscomb and everywhere else. And they wouldn't give me the time of day. They were not interested at all. Well... When about uh, five years later, they woke up and saw what was happening in youth ministry. Then they were calling me and saying, could you come help us have part of a degree plan in youth ministry? You know, we're always a little slow at Church of Christ, <laughs> you know. but But we tried to do a number of things, you know, at the Broadway Church to encourage that. So I worked there from 1965 to 71 before I went to... Uh, to Pepperdine University for 21 years and then to Abilene Christian for 10 years and taught uh, as an adjunct Bible faculty member both places there. In fact, I taught 23 years in the Bible departments of the two colleges. Uh, But uh, programs by that time were just moving every direction. There were new youth ministers. there uh, There were new youth ministry programs, that kind of thing. And things like retreats and uh, rallies and all of that, you couldn't count the number of them, hardly, that were going on. Uh, And so when I moved to California, there were several years, besides teaching in the Bible department, I was speaking over 400 times a year. And so I was speaking over an average of once a day because I would go off, as you know, on the weekend and speak four times or five times. And I was speaking during the week. I was speaking at schools. Uh, e- even uh, high schools got interested in this kind of situation. In Lubbock, Texas, I had invitations more than I could count just to come and speak to assemblies and to homerooms, to you know, different classes like that. And uh, that kind of thing took off so much. And then even high schools began to call uh, to do uh, baccalaureats and commencements and that kind of thing. So there was never a lack of, uh, of work to do the well, I mean, later you can edit this thing any way you want. To. <laughs> <laughs> You're great, You're great. Uh, so just uh, take what you want and, and leave the other part out. <laughs> okay. Uh,
0: you mentioned Don. Some of, alluded to this. Uh, what drew you to youth ministry? Right. Uh, would you? Is there anything that maybe you you, you touched on? It. Is there anything right. that you'd want to speak to in terms of more direct? What what, what draw you there?
1: Okay. Uh, well, I think, number one, I saw how many young people we were losing, as I mentioned. Uh, and second of all, I felt like they were almost a second-class citizen, you know, that the church was for adults, <laughs> it wasn't for youth. And I thought, their souls just as valuable as anyone else's, and we, we can't lose these kids in this way. Uh, now, it, it's interesting how that developed, though. Uh, as, you, as you know, one of the problems was we didn't have anything in churches of Christ, and when you become a youth minister and you decide to develop a program, there is, there is no program. You have to decide what you're going to do. See. So I decided when I went to Lubbock, I will just go visit some of the denominational youth ministers and ask them how their program runs or what they do. You know, in fact, in Lubbock you had uh, uh, you had the uh, second biggest Southern Baptist church in the world and you had the second biggest uh, Church of Christ in the world and you had the fourth biggest Methodist church in the world all on the same street within ten blocks of each other so uh, so I go to visit them I go to visit their youth ministers and uh, uh, and I found out immediately that their programs had already developed into almost a recreational uh, entertainment type of program and as long as I live, I'll never forget one of the youth ministers of one of those groups. Uh, I, I looked at the program he handed me, and, and it was all the ball teams and all of that kind of thing. And, and I asked him the question, where is your Bible study? And he was honest enough to say, Don, several years ago we got away from that, and we've never learned how to get back. Boy, that was crucial to me. And I said to me, as long as I live and train youth ministers, we're going to do our best to never leave that Bible teaching. And I have just felt like that was such a key issue for years and years. And I I can honestly say that the first guys who were in the youth ministry in Churches of Christ, that was such a crucial issue for them. If it wouldn't have been, I think we would have lost the program to begin with. But it was a crucial uh, issue in
0: that well, I can attest that you did emphasize that strongly and and, and, and embedded it, <laughs> and I appreciate that, really yes. do. Uh, <clears throat> tell us, and, and you and you hit some on this down, but tell us some of what it's what it's like, what it was like to work in youth ministry at that time, when you did get going. I know you just mentioned yeah. what, in Lovick. You there was no prepackaged program. Yeah. You did, it, <clears throat> or you had to find out some way, but. <clears throat> So you go to some place, in this case, uh, love it your Broadway, you're setting it up. What was it like once you go and you, you, you visit some of the people in town? But what kind of challenges, what, what were the teenagers like at that time as opposed okay. to today? All right. Uh,
1: well, let's talk about it from several different directions. First of all was uh, getting the church to accept youth ministry everywhere, literally. Because, as I said, they had had public ministers and they had had education
0: directors. Can like I that? interrupt for just sure, a second? Can. One of the things I made a mistake in doing, the yeah, said, let me tell you, since we are going to be editing my voice, they're yeah. not going to be hearing my questions. Oh, so what okay. if you can, as if you're just making a statement, if you'll okay. we'll kind of restate the statement, that'll, that'll be helpful. Okay. So just in terms of how you got things started, when you started loving wherever or wherever. Okay. Uh, starting out
1: was one of the difficult, difficult things. And I think very few youth ministers today have any concept what it was like, because uh, there were no youth ministers in churches of Christ. So, uh, so what do you do? And then immediately when it started, uh, we began to be written up in, in uh, brotherhood publications everywhere. Man, where is it in Scripture about youth ministry? <laughs> you know. And so the biggest battle for for literally for the first few years was winning the right to be a youth minister. I'm talking about from scripture, and everything. Uh, we had to write articles. We had to go sit down with with congregations, with elderships, with everything to try to win uh, win the right. Now that to a new youth minister today, that doesn't mean anything, you know. But uh, uh, but. Uh, uh, that that was a really really tough part of it, and uh, uh, and I you know I'd say I'd say well it's in the same scripture as pulpit ministers, or it's in the same scripture, and and uh, but but still we had to win it. Now that was the that wasn't the hardest part though. Uh, I knew we had to establish it biblically, but I also knew. See, what, what a lot of people were worried about was whether these youth ministers were going to get involved with these high school kids in a moral way or immoral way or whatever else, you know. And I knew that if a youth minister had an affair with a teenage girl, it would completely destroy the youth ministry program. I, I figured it would ruin it for 30 years at least. Uh and I can, I, as vividly as everything, I can remember the first one that we knew about. He was a very, very well-known youth minister and had an affair with a high school girl and got her pregnant. And uh, uh, and and when we got over that hurdle right there, I knew that we had gotten to the point where youth ministry could progress. So it was a biblical issue, but it was also a fear that... that uh, that the youth ministers were not going to be the kind of people they they should be in those situations. I know this sounds funny to a lot of people listening to this, uh, and to you, new youth ministers. You know, but uh, but we had to win. We had to win all of those battles, and uh, and then, of course, at, at the start, Gary, it attracted uh, uh, all the new programs attract some weird birds. I don't care what program it is, you know, uh, and so all of a sudden, uh, here come some guys and you think, where did they come from? Man, a lot, you know, just just blew us away, you know, and so it was really hard. I mean, I mean, of course, you ought to probably laugh at this, but it's kind of like speaking at a single seminar. Yeah, some great ones there, and, and there you have a few. And you think, where in the world did these come from? You know, and, and we felt that way about a, a lot of new guys. So, so the the guys who were really solid, boy, they had a task because when they spoke at the at the youth minister seminar or any program, they had to tell how the cow ate the cabbage because. They couldn't let some weird guys ruin the possibility of what this was going to do in, in our brotherhood, you know. So the first guys, did they just did a fantastic job, really. And, and there were several that were just really, really solid, and some of them were even a little older. Uh, and uh, I know if I mention any of these, it's not wise because I'm going to leave out some, you know. But, but Ben Zikafus, who was an Abilene Christian at that point... Uh, teaching in the phys ed department, he was he was really a youth minister at the at the college church then, university church now, and you had Dwayne Eggleston up in uh, up in Kansas who was a little bit older, you know that kind of thing, and then of course the guys who began in the thing like old Bill Jackson and Tim Lewis and and Wally Wilkerson and John Paul Blankenship and uh, you know uh, Bobby Heiss as you mentioned, they were just they were fun guys. They knew how to play with kids, but they were they were solid and they knew what had to be done, you know, to, to make the program go. So so those first steps were really really difficult things. I was written up more times than I can count, uh, and uh, and and that was tough because I wanted to fire back at every one of those, but. Uh, some of the preachers I worked with, even the Christian college presidents I worked with they encouraged me not to, you know, fire back at them. Because all some people do is just want to write up the brotherhood, you know, that kind of thing. So, and by the way, it's interesting what's happened with this thing because uh, the youth ministry began, this current program began in 1965. First youth ministers. And, uh, and about three years ago, I had a list of youth ministers on my computer at, at Abilene Christian. And I had listed over over a thousand one hundred full time youth ministers. This was not youth and education or youth and involvement. This was full time youth ministers. So from 1965 until you know around 2000, uh, that's how fast this program progressed. I didn't dream it could do that, and the reason I didn't dream it could do that wasn't because I didn't believe in the in the church. It was the fact that I thought there would become a saturation point where a congregation of 150 people just couldn't economically have a pulpit minister and a youth minister. But I'm literally staggered right now at the number of congregations who are, you know, 200 in number and uh, you just think they're not going to have the money and they have a full-time youth minister. Mm -hmm. I think the reason is they just see such a drastic need. For young people in this culture and in this world right now, and so they're just determined to make the thing go mm-hmm. in some way. Uh, don't ask me where I started on this thing, but uh, <laughs> no. but uh, that's kind of but a that, beginning. But
0: that intrigues me when you say that because you, I mean, <clears throat> it's grown so much. And you said a yeah. little well ago that you know it, it draws a lot of different types of people. Some that are solid, some that feel, right. but then some that may not be. Right. That was a pretty heavy responsibility for someone like you, who was there at the start, to feel like we've got to. If this warrants our time and our attention, right. we've got to make sure we do this right. That's right. Do you feel good about where it's gone? Uh, not altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me get to that in just a minute. Let me turn
1: it around okay. first. And yeah, I have some uh, questions along the uh, line. And that is, in relation to where it's gone, uh, when you first did a youth minister seminar or a, or a lecture to adults, you had to spend half of your time telling them what not to do, what guy not to get. <laughs> And, you, and, and see, when I started, there was no youth minister's uh, list. And even elders didn't even know really. I mean, I, I'm kind, but they didn't know what they wanted. They just wanted somebody to help with their young people. And even when I went to Lubbock, they said, uh, now Don, in fact, uh, Bonosky, who was the pulpit minister there, said, now Don, our elders don't really know what they need. And if you can't do the job, they'll get somebody else. But they, they don't know right now what to do. See, And so uh, our, some of the elders there, one of them wanted me to keep his kid out of jail. You know, one of them wanted me to, his kid was having, they, their own personal kids were having problems. He wanted me to do this. They didn't really know what they wanted. So one of the first things that was necessary was to, was to do a job description And every time you spoke to a group, you had to pass that thing out and and say what to do and what not to do. And then, by the way, we spent a staggering amount of time going to congregations by themselves who were wanting a youth minister and just sitting down with the elders and, and spending three hours, four hours, you know, saying what to do, what not to do. And by the way, it put us on the spot because we weren't the rulers and we weren't the ones who were supposed to decide, but... Uh, because no one knew anything about the game, we just kind of had to develop our philosophy in that thing. Uh, everything we did, hearing from the from the ground, we just had to we just had to work. Uh, I mean, when we wanted to start a Timothy and Dorcas Club in Lubbock for the fourth through the eighth grade, uh, somebody said someone said, "What kind of material will we use?" There wasn't any material. You, any program you had, you wrote your own material. I wrote I wrote our Bible class material. I mean, I did things that we had never done in Churches of Christ because I thought that was the best thing. And it's not that we thought we knew the answers; we just had to do our best to develop a, uh, a program uh, for this. So that made it that made it real tough. But um, back to your back to the question uh, of how I feel about how things have progressed. Um, uh, I, I felt like it went really healthy at the first because the youth ministers, number one, had to have a great camaraderie. We felt very close. We spent time on the phone with each other. If we didn't know the answer to something, we just called them and said, what have you done or what will work or what won't work, you know, that kind of thing. So, so the, I, I think all of us felt so inadequate. We just, we just worked our heads off at that thing. But then, as time goes, you get new generations of youth ministers who uh, who they didn't have to do all of that, and they just kind of want in on the coattail of a, of a situation. Uh, and because the culture of today is a different ballgame as far as entertainment, as far as media, uh, as far as morality, as far as a lot of things, uh, I think it's been really tough for a lot of the youth ministers to still keep their focus their focus on Bible <laughs> uh, what their job really is uh, mothers and daddies have, have wanted the youth minister to take their place which God doesn't establish uh, and a lot of youth ministers wanted to do that and so uh, it's hard for any new generation of youth ministers to keep their keep their eye on the Lord in these situations You and know. uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, the reason I say that also is because the the, the youth ministers at, at the start I think they had a good focus on the difference in uh, in doctrine and methodology. <laughs> Those are totally two different ball games. Uh, just because you change your methodology doesn't change doesn't mean you change your biblical stance. And the guys were really strong in the biblical stance. Uh, uh, at the start uh, but they realized we were going to have to change our methodology of how we did a, a lot of things but that doesn't mean they changed doctrine I've I watched a lot of new youth ministers and especially in the last 15 years who are not as interested in, in doctrine they're just interested in how can we entertain the kids how can we go do things with them and that kind of thing and, and uh, I was at a seminar some time ago and and one of the youth ministers, it was a panel of elders, a youth minister stood up and said, when are you elders going to start letting us do what we want to do? Ooh, man, I mean, the older ones in the group, just the fire almost shot out of their eyes. you know. And what I mean by that is uh, there are a lot of young men who, who think they know more than elders about handling a congregation, not wise young men. Hmm. You know, they don't know that elders are to feed the flock and this kind of thing. And so, uh, uh, and and uh, one one youth minister in a program like this, uh, he was really frustrated because uh, he wanted to this particular congregation to hire him in spite of the fact that uh, he believed that instrumental music was fine in the worship and, and the elders wouldn't do it, you know. So a lot of guys, they have come out of this... Uh, this generation over the last 40 years where they want liberty and they want their own way and that kind of thing. So it's really hard for a, youth, a new youth minister to find his
0: place in all of this. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that, Don. I, in fact, I want to revisit some of that here in okay. just a few minutes uh, more specifically. But <clears throat> you mentioned philosophy or uh, I don't think you said theology, right. but doctrine versus methodology. Right. If you were, if you wrap up your, define your philosophy of minister of youth ministry, when okay, you started. Good. Uh, and, and and also, would it change today if you had to do it over again?
1: Right, right. Well, uh, it was hard for me at first, because the church... If you could state that, so... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's my fault. I'm, I'm, uh, no, it's my <laughs> fault. I uh My philosophy of youth ministry... Uh, it was very difficult to establish that at first because the church had only looked at three areas, like with worship or the church program or anything. they had only looked at what they called evangelism, edification and benevolence. And I, I honored those and that was great. Uh, but when I started into youth ministry, I say, is that going to be the philosophy? Are we, going to, are we just going to function off those three things? or are there other things in the Bible we haven't looked at? And all of a sudden, I, I found out that there was an area that we had not even really spent any time on, Harley, and that was worship. And I thought, well, there's nothing more biblical than worship, <laughs> you know. And and then uh, I had to reevaluate. I had to reevaluate everything I did with the kids in, in light of who they were and what the Bible was. And so when I came to the, to the Broadway Church in Lubbock, for instance, they had basketball teams. I never had a basketball team anywhere. The church at Surreal, Oklahoma didn't have a gymnasium or a basketball team, you know. And and so uh, I I went to their games. And uh, our our high school guys uh, that were in the Y League, their language was awful. Their attitude was rotten, you know, and I thought, I don't think that fits into my philosophy of youth ministry. And I called them all in and and stopped the program. And they about had a heart attack. Because we had had already made that transference into kind of an entertainment type of world, even if you didn't have a youth minister. And uh, so uh, I I said, uh, boys, we're we're not going to. I said, that doesn't help any part of the program. It doesn't fit any part. So they battled with me. I can still hear old Bill when I'm coming in one morning. He said, Big Don, let us play basketball. We'll pray before ever practice, we'll pray after ever practice. I said, Bill, I'm not asking that, but it, it's going to have to be a different world. It's going to have to fit. And and so I, I, I had to decide if we could buy basketballs and things like that and they could fit into this philosophy. Uh, and uh, so I told the guys, I said, guys, if it doesn't fit into evangelism and it, if it doesn't fit into benevolence in any way we're not going to have it well we completely even revamped a basketball program where I said uh, you can't uh, you can't have basketball unless you'll bring guys to church service with you in Bible class and all that next Sunday morning I had four new guys in my Bible class I mean they had to get a different focus on this thing well we're back on this philosophy thing so so uh, I had to reevaluate every single thing I did, literally, you know, and uh, uh, and think how valuable is it. For instance, we had we had 13 different high schools represented in that one youth program. We had about four high schools, which were the big ones, but we had them all all, all over the place. And, and I had to decide uh, how much time do I spend out at these high schools and. And then we worked with the Children's Home of Lubbock, and I said, "How much time do I need to be out here? How is it involved in the philosophy of youth ministry and all this kind of thing?" Uh, so it was hard because the ones who, the ones of us who started had to, had to had to get our our philosophy in order before we could ever talk to to anyone else about it. But uh, let me just mention one other area of that thing that probably helped me as much as anything, and that was. Jim Beavis, who was the educational director at Broadway, was trying to do the same thing with the educational program. What's the philosophy of it? And, and, and we sit down and worked at the thing. Uh, and, and so I developed a philosophy of youth ministry in this way. I said, number one, uh, what are the biggest needs of our kids? What are the biggest needs of our kids? Do they need a normal Bible? Do they need a better relationship with mother and dad? Do they need, you know what are their biggest needs number 2 what are the goals that we need to set up with those needs for 2004 2000 whatever you know what are the goals we need to set up where do we want them a year from now so that was the second one and then and then the third one was i said okay what are uh, uh, taking their needs and their goals what programs are we going to have in the next year to be where they need to be for God at the end of that time. Now that sounds very, very simple. But what I did is I gave that, that same sheet to every kid, to every parent, to every elder and had them bring it back. And then at the bottom I had put down what does this contribute to your spiritual growth? Well, I mean this kid who wanted to stereo in the sunday school room he had to figure out some way that that worked into the into the spiritual life of the kid but i think that philosophy helped me more than anything else and i did it every single year uh, because what we had done before that time was uh we had uh, we took the lord's supper to the shut-ins we we uh had sometimes a Sunday night fellowship, went to two youth rallies a year and went to one Christian college or something. That was kind of the youth program. Well, all of a sudden I said, we're going to prioritize this philosophy and and so we're going to take all these needs and, and we're going to take the ones that they need the most and that's what's going to become our program. And boy, that was tough. That was tough. But what it caused me to do. Uh, oh, by the way, parents didn't know how to handle it and elders didn't know how to handle it because I said, okay, we're not going to just... Uh, I, I said, you know, I could probably take some 5th graders down to help serve the Lord's Supper or you know, something, but we've got to get some programs that motivate and encourage and are at, at, at a different level. Well, I know I'm talking too much, so you did. You, you just have to edit out whatever you don't want. Okay. But... So we even, uh, Gary, started a brand new program of education Uh, and and that was the most revolutionary thing we did. I thought uh, what we had always done in education before that with the teenagers was uh, we had three areas. We had material and we had the teacher uh, uh, and we had uh, uh, the need. Well we always just chose the teacher first. Because we had to have somebody to teach the teenagers. So we chose the teacher. Then we went out the store and bought some material that looked pretty good. And the last thing we did is figure out whether it met a need or not. I thought, well, we've got to transfer that around. So we totally revamped the thing and, and went by needs first. What do these kids need? Do they need a. F- In fact, one of the things we developed whether for our juniors and seniors was a philosophy of life according to Jesus. <laughs> To get ready for them to get out of high school, you know. So we chose the need, then we chose the material, then we chose the teacher. And and that sounds very elementary, but it's one of the most revolutionary things we ever did. But then, uh, you you probably think I'm crazy, but I I revamped the whole uh, educational program and put, and uh, by the way, it took. it took 17 classes on Sunday morning just to teach our 7th through 12th grades. We had three in each grade except two in the 8th grade. But uh, I, I, all of a sudden I discovered that we were teaching on such an elementary level <laughs> and and that we had uh, we had both Lubbock Christian kids who had Bible every day in their class and then we had the children's home kids who a lot of them had never been in Bible school in their life. They didn't know Adam from... You know, Romans, it didn't mean anything. And so I decided that we were going to challenge these kids in a new way. Uh, and I've tried to get churches to do this everywhere. No one's ever taken it. But anyway, uh, I set up a program where, uh, like the, the first class of, of the senior class, in order to stay in that class, they had to write, they had to do a notebook, they had to do a, a, a theme. They had to do a a research paper if they want to stay in it. They had to memorize 25 passages of scripture. They had to bring six visitors. I mean, Well, we had a list of stuff if they're going to stay in that class. Uh, And then, you know, I did that uh, with challenges all the way across. Well, everybody had a heart attack. We had more heart attacks through this Mm -hmm. thing you can shake a stick at. But, But we developed all that thing, and then I gave them a Bible test to figure out where they needed to be. I didn't care whether they were in class with their boyfriend or their girlfriend or whatever else, because our object was to teach them God's Word, you know. And so it was was unbelievable what happened, because once we got kids in different classes by their need and by their level, uh, some of the kids who had never been in Bible class before, their attention span was six and seven seconds. Hmm. And I had to use four-year-old material for them. But see, before that, what we had done in Bible classes was we just we just came in and we taught, and the same four people answered every question every Sunday. The others didn't give you trouble, but they just sat there. <laughs> they weren't problems. They didn't. All they did sit there for 45 minutes, and uh, you know, and uh, you know. So I know I don't need to tell all of this, but what I'm saying is. Every avenue of our program, it had to fit back into this philosophy again. How are we going to teach the Bible? And then I had to decide. I was running about 30 programs during a school year, different programs. I had to decide which ones were my priority and put more emphasis on those than any other. And I still believe, as Ira North taught then, that the Bible school, as goes the Bible school, so goes the church. And so I decided that, that my Bible classes on Sunday morning uh, were one of the most crucial things because the kids were going to be there then whether they wanted to be or not. Parents are going to bring them then. They may not be there on Sunday night or Wednesday night, but they're going to be there Sunday mornings. So I decided that is a crucial time. I want those Bible classes to be dynamic beyond anything else. I'd rather have 100 in a class with a dynamic teacher than 7 classes with, with dead teachers, you know, this kind of thing. And then, because of evangelism, I wanted our mission trips to be dynamic things. And so, I chose the the programs that fit into those areas that was going to make that were going to make the strongest program we could have. Now, what happened to other things? What happened to uh, a Sunday night fellowship? I didn't care whether our kids came or not, and that blew everyone's mind, you know, because. Because I, I'm like the preacher who, who went down to the train station every day because that's the only thing that went through town. He didn't have to push, and I didn't want that to push 30 programs at the same time. You couldn't push push them to the same degree. So I chose my priority items, and, and a lot of those other things, if they came, great, they could get some benefit. But I couldn't push all of them at the same time, you know. So, so I had to set up my my philosophy. And then I had to set up the kind of the programming philosophy of what's going to have emphasis in the biblical and the and the, and the worship and all this kind of thing, and uh, and then I had to to uh, uh, set up my needs and that kind of thing and let them fill that out and work from there. Now, I may I may have confused everybody trying to explain this thing, but what I'm saying is, if if a, if a youth minister goes into a church and just does the same thing everybody's always done, it can be just as dead as it's ever been, too, you know. And, and 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 the reason I get frustrated with a lot of youth ministers is a lot of parents are just wanting those youth ministers to take care of them when they don't want to be there. And, and, and man, I got I had to cure that, you know, on those fellowships on Sunday night. The parents, some of them, didn't care whether they came back at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock to get the kid. I told them at 9 o'clock I wasn't going to be there anymore. Their kid would be standing out on the corner. We had to get that straightened out, you know. <laughs> and and I didn't let the kids come over to my house all the time. You know what I mean? Some of them would be over there every night of the world and, and stay, they'd spend the night if they could. You know what I'm saying. So, I mean, a lot of ones who are listening to this tape know this stuff better than I do. But you just really have, you have to decide what your priorities are going to be. And and you have to make the cuts and you just have to go from there and and by the way uh, maybe this is the worst thing I can say at this point but I didn't really care whether people liked me or not I wanted the young people to like me and I wanted the adults to like me because they would listen better but I wasn't doing things to please people I was doing things because I believed that was the best thing for the glory of God in those kids lives and if you get away from that, you're going to lose it all. Well, I didn't no. mean to spend an yeah. hour no. working on that. No, you're doing
0: great. <laughs> doing great. In, in the middle of all that, yeah. uh, memories. You have tons of them. Yeah. Maybe some that you'd like to remember that are really, very fond. Maybe some that you'd like to forget. Uh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, share any of those, some that they stand out for, or maybe some uh, Occasions, events, people—maybe a
1: trip or whatever. Oh, the trouble about uh, this—the trouble about remembering events and people—is I could I could go for hours and hours and hours. But I think, uh, to put it kind of in a nutshell, uh, uh, the the treasures probably were the were the youth ministers that I knew where we had to work our head off to try to figure out what day it was, Mm -hmm. you know. But. The biggest revelation I think of my whole youth ministry here was uh, that that it didn't take me too long to find out that I was spending too much time with the kids who were going to make it anyway. Now, I don't know whether that means a lot to a lot of people, but but. Uh, uh, one day, one day we had a kid I had a bad accident, and you know he's going to be in the hospital. And I thought, we need to pray about this kid. We're going to we're going to pray around the clock for this kid. Well, I called a couple of my kids, and and, uh, and oh yeah, what what time you want me to pray, you know? And then I called old Barry, who was the center on the Lubbock High football team, and he said, pray all night. I mean, he he went into heart attack again <laughs> over praying all night. And uh, and what I mean is. Uh, I had a tendency to want to spend the time with the kids whose parents were really strong in the Lord and the parents were going to give them the spiritual direction. And if I would have never been there, they would have made it well, you know. And so it it kind of slapped me in the face a few times that I had to... uh, 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 I mean, you you know, you have your ten to twenty percent who are, they're gonna they're gonna be faithful. They're gonna do everything. You don't even have to ask. They just say, "When is it?" You know that kind of thing. Uh, and, and and you have your you have your bottom ten or twenty percent who they, they they come from tough homes, dysfunctional homes. They have problems. You need to give them a lot of time. But really, there was a group in the middle who could have gone either way, <laughs> real easily. And uh, I just realized that I needed to have been spending a lot more time with them, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, at the same time, uh, we had 50 of our 300 kids from the Children's Home of Lubbock. And uh, I went out every Monday night and ate with one of the cottages, and I spent a lot of time with those kids and loved them to death. But, but man, I mean, I, I think of some heartbreaking situations, you know. And in fact, uh, uh, I, I when I think, it, it's funny, when you deal with young people or you teach in college, you don't remember the people in the middle. You remember the the really strong ones, the one who are really strong, and you remember the notorious ones, you know. But uh, uh, I remember when I first went to the children's home, one of the young girls, she was 15, she had just come there that week. But she had already taken the guys out behind the barn to, Teach them the way the way of the world more perfectly, you know, and uh, uh, I mean, and you just had notorious things. I, one, uh, and I can mention Desi's name. She was precious. She came there. She was about five eleven and a half. I said to her one day. And by the way, and a lot of these kids came out of tough homes. So they, mm-hmm. All they knew was to uh, to, uh, to fight or to speak mm-hmm. strongly. I, I walked up and introduced myself to her, asked her what her name was.
0: My name is
1: Desi. I mean, she about knocked me over. You know, she always got about that far from me. I said, Dessie, what do you want to be in your in your life? She said, truck driver. I said, okay. So eventually, we went and got her a job at the at the truck stop, washing windows of the trucks. You know, and she was in hog heaven. You know, but Desi won the oh oh. First week, three of the boys at the children's home made fun of her. She whipped all three of them. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was 195 pounds, and, boy, she was not fat. She had shoulders, huge shoulders. She whipped all three of them, boy, she cured that right then. Hmm. But but uh, uh, it, it, those kind of people, I was driving through Wichita Falls one day, stopped at a light. All of a sudden, I heard somebody scream, big dog. Latoya was desi. <laughs> Couldn't believe it, you know. <laughs> I think every youth minister has had all these kind of memories, you know, but, but you have a, uh, but, but you know, when I'd go out to the children's home and, i all oh, about five to six of them would have a picture of their mother and dad in prison mm. on their, on their mirror up there, and boy, that was tough, you know, and, and one of them had watched her dad kill her mother, you know, and boy, you just, some of those stories are just so, so tough, and mm. You know, one of them, even after I left Lubbock, I came back and and uh, found out that he had uh, he had gotten married and had a little girl, and he had such a problem with anger. He had killed his wife and killed his little girl, and I immediately canceled everything and went to the jail and sat for two hours and visited with him, you know. But I tell you, the, these, these the, the needs of these kids just overwhelm you when you... You'd think back about them and all that but my you you the blessings I, I I could talk for ten hours and not even stop with all the blessings of of kids one girl flew with me to Canada and spoke to the girls up there and what a powerful message she had and uh, uh, and the mission trips that we had one of the girls brought uh, in four mission trips, brought 15 people to the Lord uh, with her partner. And this is where we just went cold turkey and knocked on doors and set up Bible studies, you know. And uh, so uh, you have just every kind of situation. If I would have thought ahead of time about this, i no telling what stories would have, would have come out, you know. But, boy, they're a rich thing. Uh, I guess within it, uh, it, it, came a, it came a grieving thing, too, though. And that was, I, I guess, I had a tendency to get frustrated because parents didn't do the job they should have done with their kids. You know what I mean? They, they thought since I was a youth minister that I was supposed to... Uh, they thought I was supposed to train their kids and that the Bible class was supposed to teach the Bible to their kids. And and, and I've used that Deuteronomy passage thousands of times I said yeah there are only four times in the day you're supposed to teach your kid the the law you know when you get up in the morning when you go to bed at night when you sit in your house when you walk by the way those are the only times you're supposed to teach your kids the Bible you know Uh, but uh, I I, I was always conscious of the fact that sometimes I was taking the job of a parent when I shouldn't do that Mm. that I should be doing a better job of training parents to teach the Bible and instruct the kids and teach them morality and that kind of thing,
0: you know. Don, was that something that you, that you that dawned on you later on? Was that something that early on? There are several people this, today that hold that view now. Right. And it's a more right. popular, more common. Right. Right. But uh, although it's not embraced by most right. so, people still. But is that something that you just, within yourself, you know, I'm really not yeah. doing what I need to be doing right. Right
1: in, in relation to, uh, uh, to whether parents were doing their job and what I needed to do, uh, it didn't hit me right at the first because everything was so new, I was just trying to figure out what day it was for, for a while. But uh, I'd say within two years uh, I, I, I became much more conscious. But, uh, but to be honest, Youth ministry still was not in that mode at all back then. I mean, into what we call family ministry or that kind of thing. Sure and, 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 uh, and, and yet, I felt like we were, we were taking a responsibility which was not ours. <laughs> you know, uh, now, I, I had just as much awkwardness about it, though, I guess when a lot of the youth ministers tried to get into this area, I talked to several, and, and I had the feeling that they were trying to get out of a lot of work. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying. So, so there are both sides to the coin, I know. But, uh, but to be honest, we didn't know how to get parents into it. Once we figured out we weren't doing the best job, we didn't know how to. And so, we tried some things on that. You know, I, I can remember doing uh, four Sunday. Four Sunday night classes before worship service, where where we had the the kids tell what they liked about their parents, and then the parents tell them what they liked about their kids. In the next two weeks, uh, the kids uh, told what they didn't like about their parents, and by the time the parents got through with their situation, what they didn't like about the kids, the kids were so humble <laughs> they didn't know what day it was. But we 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 did a number of things, and then we for instance we had some retreats where we. Uh, the whole family had to come had a retreat where, uh, where we did a communication type of retreat uh, and, uh, and that meant that uh, we discussed some interfamily situations with their families we just, but we had to learn those things you know, and make them up so we did that uh, there were a number of things that we did to try to bring oh and, and we, we did at least one Sunday night fellowship a month where a kid couldn't come unless the parents came, <laughs> you know. And, and by the way, and oh, the whole family came, and they all had to participate. Family parents couldn't sit over here and the kids do this, you know. And that. so, uh, we tried to do a lot of those things back then. We didn't call it family ministry, but we were trying to get mothers and daddies with those kids. Right. Uh, but boy, it was needed. It was needed back then. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: you know, really. Thank you. What we're going to do here, okay. we're hit a point where this, we're going okay. to uh, replace the tape and uh, have a few more questions. Good. Susan, you didn't know I was going to talk for three hours, did you?